Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Bengal Tiger Podcast. I'm Matthew Bruni, and joining me once again is Shay Dixon. Shay, it is Monday. It is time for the mailbag. Um, I guess this will technically be our last one of the season, but we'll continue to do them sporadically throughout the the off season. But we got portal yeah, podcasts we'll, and a lot of other stuff. There'll be plenty. I bet we have mailbags. Keep rocking. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was telling you off air. It's it's weird. It's a Monday and it's not a, a game week, so it's no Brian Kelly press conference. No, like looking ahead. Uh, the regular season is over. LSU ends at nine and three. If y'all didn't check out our uh, post game podcast, uh, feel free to go look at that. I feel like we covered everything pretty well in there. And now, you know, we post uh, asking for questions on our our board on the Bengal Tiger on three, and we start getting you know off season questions. So we can start to dive into those. But um, yeah, it's it's already started. All of the uh, coaching carousel as far as around the country goes, and the transfer portal. Yeah, and the transfer portal does not open till December 4th, but if you're if you've had a head coaching change or you are a grad student, you can already enter. Um as of right now before this pod begins, before we started, it was at 197 players had entered. Um that number went to 198 when Armani Goodwin, LSU's running back announced his intention to enter the portal. Um Maddie be a guy who has spent three years here, battled injury in high school, battled injury in college, um, ends up with a, a career line of 13 games played, three starts, uh, 61 carries, 332 yards, and five touchdowns. Um, currently now the portal uh, in total before it even opens next week. Uh, and again, that's when a guy like Armani Goodwin can be officially contacted. They're at 200 even. Uh, with two kids already committed and two withdrawing their names. Um, any quick reaction to the first name to enter in Goodwin, which is if we're putting together a list of expected names, he would have been on it. Yeah. Um, average almost five and a half yards per carry in his career. The question was never his speed or his talent. It was more so his health and consistency. And as a result, you know, when whether he was healthier, not healthy this year when he was, you still had names like Logan Diggs and Josh Williams and uh, guys like John Emery and Noah Kane above him, just because the consistency and what you know, you know what you're getting from those guys. So uh, like you said, this was expected. Uh, there's probably a handful of guys that maybe, you know, we expect uh, Armani Goodwin is the one from the running back room. That's the least surprising. If you want to throw Trey Bradford potentially in there, we'll see how, what he does, but those are the guys that I, I would have expected. We'll have a lot of coverage of this on the Bengal Tiger. Um, and shout out to everybody. We talked about it on the last podcast, but uh, it is Cyber Monday when we're recording this. Uh, you can get the Bengal Tiger for a month for $1, and you get access to all the On3 network or 50% off for the year. That's not going to last. That $1 for a month is get you through signing day, all of the coaching carousel, bowl season, the portal, uh, because the portal only lasts 30 days. 
uh, this year with the new NCAA rules. So um, it is a wild sprint here over the next month. And the Bengal Tiger uh, family is growing by the day, Maddie B. And we appreciate everyone who's come over from YouTube and the podcasts and become a member. And um, it's cool to see it grow. Everyone's having a lot of fun talking about the season uh what's to come uh the rebuild obviously towards next year's roster so one dollar for one month or 50 percent off all annual subs um cyber monday deal that's what it is check us out we'd appreciate it we love you guys and um yeah let's get it rolling so the mailbag is a subscri is a subscriber um i guess we should say what started uh thing it's obviously a public podcast but if yeah. you're a subscriber, you can ask questions on the board in the mailbag thread that Maddie B puts up every Monday. And then we answer those questions. And we're on the board all day uh, answering questions and talking about the team and recruiting. But this is a time for us to go a little bit deeper into it. So uh, and unless you, you hear our beautiful voices as we break down uh, your eloquent questions, which I have not read and presumed to be eloquent. But uh, knowing how each mailbag goes, Maddie B, I'm not so sure about it. I've I've skimmed them. I've skimmed them. But I think we're in a good spot. I, I cut it off at a decent time today, so I got like twenty something in here, so we can we can get rolling. All right. Well, we usually say the hour mark. Let's see how good we do. Um, we'll kick it off here. Uh, you ready to rock? Yep. Let's do it. All right. Uh, first guy in today, J eighty seven, becomes the first. He said, "If you could go back in time to the beginning of the season and make one schematic change on defense, what would it be?" Um, and he's got an OT question for us after about favorite Christmas songs. So for the listeners, be thinking about your favorite Christmas song. But schematic change, if you could do one thing. And uh, we've seen Brian Kelly address a number of times this year, Maddie B, uh, after games. Hey, we changed to this, whether it was press or different looks um, that he said we weren't doing before. And that benefited. So maybe go back to uh, game one. What uh, What do you want to see different? I two things come to mind. The first being probably Harold Perkins being exclusively in either the Jack or the Sam linebacker role. They obviously used him as Sam linebacker for, you know, the last half, if not the last three quarters of the season. And that's kind of where they were comfortable playing him. It was almost like the entire off season. And I wrote about this this morning. It was like just eight months preparing him at inside linebacker and, you know, using him there. And then after one game to kind of toss it to the side and say, well, all right, let's go try, try him at, you know, outside linebacker again, then try him at Sam. And it never felt like they were really comfortable and they didn't really have a plan there. I wish they would have stuck him um, either, either at Jack or Sam to start the season. I wouldn't have minded him at Jack the whole year. I wouldn't have minded him at Sam the whole year. Um, if you're going to pick one of those, um, I think you just do that and stick with it the whole the whole time. Because I do think he was better there than he was uh, in that Florida State game where he had to drop so much in coverage. And it just wasn't wasn't ideal. I am with you. I, and I think it became an ongoing thing this past weekend. You and I sat in the press box and said they're taking Harold Perkins off on third down every time. Why are they doing that? They're going nickel and taking him out of the game. And Texas A&M just kept picking up third down conversions, fourth down conversions. Then came a time where we kind of nudged each other. And I was like, dude, look, they're keeping him in on third down right now. And he spied, tackled Jalen Henderson, got the stop, forced a missed field goal, which really was kind of a turning point in that game uh, where LSU then just rolled off three straight touchdowns. And uh, he came up with another sack later on Deshaun Womack. So 
to me, it just it was odd that it even through a whole season down to the last game, Matty B, that Harold Perkins was still just like not figured out into what role they wanted him in. Yeah. Um, I, I was also thinking about like, I do think Whit Weeks fit what this team needed from a linebacker more so than Omar. So looking at it from hindsight, I think you you probably just put Whit Weeks in game one and like just let him ride for as much as you can. We uh, will have plenty of opportunities to dive into personnel decisions and, and maybe really what they go to towards the future, which is most important at this point. But you finish nine and three, you have a shot at another 10 win season. Uh, I've said it many times on here. You had a head coach fired just years after winning a national championship, having the best season ever. And you go back to back 500 seasons. You end up with the first losing season after that bowl game against Kansas State uh, since 1999, Jerry DiNardo. That's when he was replaced by Nick Saban, obviously. And they make the change to Brian Kelly. And you've got an opportunity now to go back-to-back 10-win seasons. You've made an SEC championship in one of those years. You've had the best offense in college football in the other year. Obviously, defense left so much to be desired this year. Uh, But um, when you look at it from um, sort of a, you know, the view from the space, the satellites, uh, two 10-win seasons in the SEC uh, to ramp up towards this 12-team playoff in Texas and OU coming is a very solid start. So um, kind of bleeds into um, the next question. But first, quickly, J87 wanted to know your favorite Christmas song. Ooh, I missed that. Um... So it's tough to – I mean, like, I think most people would put Mariah Carey, All I Want for Christmas is You, like, up at the top. So unless you're trying to oh, sneak yeah. one in. Okay, yeah, yeah. I wasn't thinking, I wasn't even thinking artist-wise. I was just thinking like generic, you know, Christmas holiday. Oh, you were in church. Jingle. You were doing some hymns. I, I was I was thinking like just holiday jingle, like, you know, jingle bell rock or stuff like okay. that. Um you can take it in any direction you want here. There's definitely a version of Feliz Navidad that's up there, I think. Gets you know, gets you in the spirit. Um from San Antonio. That's you know. 70 okay yeah that that's that's a good answer for you i also would say that uh for my trendy side that if we're talking like covers uh cat power has a very good one um have yourself a very merry christmas or whatever the title is uh, but you could google that if you're into uh to more of this the acoustic slow vibe of a uh, of a cool twist so that'd be my answers most people go Mariah Carey. You put that on at a Christmas function, you're good. Yeah, I haven't I haven't started listening to Christmas Christmas music yet this year. Yeah. I'm gonna have to pull up the playlist and get them going. Yeah, no, no, no. We're I'm coming over. We're gonna decorate the apartment. Don't worry, Maddie B. <laughs> okay. Um, but Capital City Tiger Twenty One. I kind of talked about ten win seasons, but he said, "Can we get a, the state of the program article after the bowl game?" Um, the answer is most definitely. We will definitely take a look at the first two years in the rear view and then what's ahead. Um, and then he kind of just asked a question about Matt house or he said, is it an agent planted by saving to spoil what would have been a playoff team? Um, we all know JD five should have win the Heisman, but um, he does ask should, or does neighbors win the Bolitnikov? So Malik neighbors who broke the LSU uh, all time career receptions record uh, this past weekend held by Wendell Davis uh, and is, 20-something yards away from the 3,001 yards that LSU has in the history books for Josh Reed, who sits at number one for most career receiving yards. He did it in three years as well. 
Uh, Malik then said he wanted to play in the bowl game because he wants to chase that record. He also said, look, I've never not played the game. I'm not leaving my guys out to dry, which is not something you normally hear from a first round pick. And we'll see if his agent talks him out of that. But Malik seems all in for it. But first, they will vote on the nation's best receiver, the Bolitnikoff. And most people, Matty B, think it is Malik Neighbors or it will be Marvin Harrison Jr. out of Ohio State. Your take. Uh, we meant we talked about this um was I think it was last Monday, maybe it was something like that. And you know, the numbers are in favor of Malik Neighbors, right? There he has over 300 more yards. Um, he has what is it, over almost 20 more receptions, 19 more receptions. Uh and the same amount of touchdowns, so 28 yards per game more. I think neighbors should win it. The argument for Harrison is going to be just to, to play both sides there. Um, also, he spelled neighbors wrong in the uh, in the uh, thing. Yeah, that's why I put OR. So nobody nobody flame me here for putting neighbors spelled wrong here. I spelled wrong in the question that was sent in. But um, to play devil's, devil's advocate, Marvin Harrison – was more important to the Ohio State offense than um, neighbors was exclusively to LSU. That's going to be the argument for people that vote for him to win. Um, is that the way it should be interpreted? Maybe not, because I don't look at the Bolitnikoff the same way I look at the Heisman. Like I think Heisman is more so impact and overall value and like greatness of player. Uh, Bolitnikoff to me, when there is a substantial statistical difference here the way that there is between neighbors and harrison i think you should go with the player that had the most outstanding season would and that is malik neighbors i'm just preparing people that people are going to vote for harrison because he was the entire the entirety of the ohio state offense i think that's kind of evident for for what they were this year yeah they both had 14 touchdowns and, and look neighbors obviously was extremely important to lsu's offense which was number one in the country, nearly wire to wire. But I'm with you. Ohio State, too, I would note they had to have a quarterback change. I mean, it was never all that pretty in terms of just chunking the ball around like what LSU did. Uh, but he was still able to put up 14 touchdowns. That's what Neighbors has. He's a phenomenal receiver. They're both going to be first-rounders. This one, for me, is uh, tough. I, I think that I look at both of them. I see arguments for both sides. I cover Malik, uh, we do, on a weekly basis. So, obviously, we see his greatness. But I know I've watched Marvin Harrison since high school. He's been an awesome, awesome prospect for a long time. I guess this one could probably go either way for me. Like, I don't know. I, I would lean Marvin Harrison maybe gets the votes. But I think Malik Neighbors has done more than enough to win the award. Yeah. I, I, I think agree. a lot of people are are going to look at Jay and say, well, Jay, he had Jaden Daniels. And That's what a lot of voters Ohio mean. State had what? You know, Kyle McCord. Well, two quarterbacks, I guess. <laughs> yeah, but um, but both great players, and look, that'd be awesome if Malik were able to win it. Uh, and we'll see what happens, obviously, with the Heisman. Uh, all eyes on three. Shout out Kevin Falk. How important is it to retain as many defensive guys as possible, even if you think they aren't good? I believe we need to slow the revolving door, especially in the secondary. I think. I'm assuming he's talking about players, not coaches. Yeah, players. So I would say that there will be guys that hit the portal that in reality probably don't have a path to playing here. I will say, though, that I do lean Matty B on what we've talked about is they need to develop guys. So that means 
trusting your evals, sticking with them and developing them. Yeah, I think the development part is the most important, no matter who's on this team, because you look at it and the jump from freshman to sophomores in this on this roster has not or was not evident in year two. And I think that's one of the more concerning things we haven't really talked about a lot, but you know, we expected more out of Quincy Wiggins. Um, you go down to Terrence Wells, Jordan Allen. Uh, those three guys stand out to me of being like, all right, we need to see them take a step forward. And I think that is coaching to a degree. Um, so like you said, retention, development, all that stuff. To go back to the fundamental question of do, should should we want LSU to keep a majority of its players? I think the answer is definitely yes in the secondary when it comes to the younger players there on the front line. Obviously you want to keep Deshaun Womack, you know, you want to keep guys like I guess Jackson Howard, but I wouldn't be surprised at all if there was kind of a, 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 a lot of turnover up front in the front seven. Um, outside of that, I would keep uh, a lot of the DBs. I'm with you. Um, and I think it bleeds well into this next question um, from Rustin 97. Uh, what do you make of Brian Kelly saying that they went to cover to trail in the fourth quarter on Saturday for the first time all season? So that's a defensive look um, that they pulled out at the end that Kelly admitted they had not done yet. Um, he asked, why didn't we try it before Saturday? Was this Kelly stepping in and overriding house or does it have more to do with freshman DBs who are more talented than maybe the guys we had on the field earlier in the season now having enough experience to run that D uh, Maddie B, we did hear he's talking about Ashton Stamps and JV and Toviano at two freshman corners who have played a lot the past few weeks, starting with Alabama until now. That Kelly even said after what, the Florida game that he they said, "Hey, look, we need to go press. I don't care. Let's let them press. Let's let them do their thing." And that they had played much better. So we certainly see wrinkles thrown in there as those guys get more playing time. But your takeaway on the statement, I guess, that Kelly made after and just kind of that evolving as the season goes, kind of graded out of how did they change on D? Because I guess put it in its simplest form for us, but I do know that midway through the season, Brian Kelly was spending a lot more time down in the defensive room than he was in the offensive room trying to figure out, hey, what do we have to do to get this on track? Yeah. It, it was one of the biggest changes from last year. This year is the lack of adequate adjustments uh, this year, especially at halftime, right? We, we look back at the 2022 season and say, man, you know, first half they struggled on a few games and they come out the second half and they hold teams to zero Ole Miss, Mississippi state, go down the list. And this year when things were bad in the first half, the bleeding never stopped. Right. Like the AM game, sure. The fourth quarter, they had some stops. They did their job better. But that was an outlier when you look at um, the out, the losses, first of all, the three losses on the season. But just in general, it never felt like something substantial changed from one half to the other. Um, schematically, personnel wise, you didn't get those Brian Kelly coming afterwards saying, man, you know, Matt House really did this, this and this at halftime and, and fixed it for us. I think they played better in the second half against Missouri. AM. I'd have to, you know, think about the rest here. But regardless, it's it is concerning to a degree to, you know, have to run something that you had never haven't run the entire season in, in the fourth quarter of the last game of the season to get a stop. 
but at least they did it, in my opinion. At least they stopped the bleeding at some point. Um, and to answer the last part of the question, does that have to do more with the freshman DBs getting more comfortable? I think so, but you have the same safety. So if you're in cover two stuff, I feel like that's a lot more safeties being able to know their assignments in the back end and, you know, being able to bracket that type of stuff. But yeah. And Andre Sam and major Burns had played all season. They're two of the oldest guys in the team. So yeah. um, to your point, I would say too, that it does baffle me. And Kelly has said, look, it's on coaching, but he also says we don't have personnel. You've said it before on the podcast. They want to be able to run a lot of nickel. They don't have, they can't, they just don't have the personnel for it. And Brian Kelly has said a number of times that they've wanted to do things on defense schematically that they can't because they don't have the depth and personnel that they can trust to put out there yet. I think that when you have the hundred and something worth worst defense in the country, and it was kind of that way all year, it's going to be a combination of a lot of things, coaching, personnel, execution, everything, because, um, all you don't end up in the at the bottom of the barrel in the country just because you've got some bad players or because your defensive coordinator doesn't have the right calls like that just doesn't happen it's compounded when everything sort of is you know gone haywire on you and you're not able to uh to write the ship and like for the season to me i've watched some bad defense like i covered north texas they had one of the worst defense in the country like before i got to lsu I've seen bad defenses and the common theme I feel like when I watch these defenses that rank in the hundreds is it feels like there's never a sense of direction from game to game. And like I said, with the way that they were uncertain using Harold Perkins, uncertain in coverages, uncertain with personnel at DB, like they just didn't know what they needed to do. And it was that's coaching obviously it is paired when you don't have the personnel you exactly want but that's going to happen from year to year you're not going to exactly have the personnel that you want and maybe you misevaluated some players in the portal and what you could do for them but you don't go get denver harris and try to make him play zone you don't get omar spates and try to make him you know play the, the mike linebacker spot or will linebacker spot the way you want him to play it's kind of it's all hand in hand where you have to get the personnel that fits what you're doing and then you have to execute and have a direction. And they just this year did not have that direction, the focus, the really anything that allows a defense to be comfortable. They were just never comfortable. No, and I'll say a year ago they had more talent on D, so it became more comfortable. Yes. You could trust guys to do different things this year. Uh, to your point with Harold Perkins, Matty B, the it, it was almost like the indecisiveness was because it was, hey, he's our best player. How do we use him to, in which way? Is it to cover up other deficiencies or to let him just go get the quarterback? Or, you know, and it almost felt game to game, week to week, month. They were just always trying a little something different to where knowing they just didn't have the horses that they wanted. And they were trying to find that right mix. And it just continued on through all three months to where you never really got a hold of it. Um, and we've got back-to-back questions here. Tiger Bait 7272 and LSU Fan 1983 both asking um, how they got nine minutes into an open thread without ask or asking about the future of Matt House, LSU's defensive coordinator. What throws me off here is, man, he was so great at halftime adjustments a year ago. And now you get dealt a less talented roster this year. Yeah. But it felt like 
as you said, those changes never. Missouri's second half was good. I mean, there were some bright spots, but never enough to override the reality that you had the best offense in the country and statistically one of the worst defenses in America. And how could you not just get that into the 133 FBS teams, Matty B? If, it, if that defense ranks middle of the pack, 60-70, yeah. you've won one or two of those games. Almost like, that's the difference in it. And you're being talked about maybe in Atlanta this weekend or, you know, at least in the mix for a New Year's Six Bowl and you're a top 10 team. Um, they're 13, the highest ranked three loss team in the country, but uh, it never came together for them. And I'll let you give your thoughts on house, but I want to say this, and I am doing this to present fact, you know, bring some, um, a little bit of a history lesson into this and take the intel as you may as an LSU fan and move forward with it. But let's think about what he was, Brian Kelly's biggest head coaching job, Notre Dame, before he came here. Got there in 2010. He hired Bob Diaco. He brought Bob Diaco from Cincinnati, who was a defensive coordinator for him, became the D.C. Uh, um, at Notre Dame, and he went on to win a Broyles Award. They were excellent. Um, and obviously, he took a head coaching job at UConn, flamed out, went and became Nebraska's D.C., uh, and now he's on LSU staff. He's an analyst who moved into that Jack linebacker role when they uh, had to have some coaching shuffle because of Jimmy Lindsay uh, and his medical conditions and the D-line coach spot being open. Um, and he was replaced by John Jancic, an analyst who's been a DC at multiple SEC schools. But first hire, Bob Diaco, he wins a Broyles. That's about as good of a hire as you can get. He becomes a head coach. 2014 to 16, Brian Van Gorder, that'd be the worst hire. Um, Van Gorder in the midway part of year three was fired, um, replaced by um, a defensive analyst, uh, Greg Hudson at the time. Um, and Kelly decided that offseason we're going in a new direction. So it was after year two in the middle of year three where he said Van Gorder's not working out. Then he goes on a run of hiring Mike Elko as DC, who goes on to become Duke's head coach and now Texas A&M's head coach. Excellent DC hires Clark Lee as the DC to replace Elko. Excellent. That was two undefeated regular seasons that Clark Lee was part of. They went to the playoffs. He becomes Vandy's head coach. Then he hires Marcus Freeman at a time when LSU was trying to hire Marcus Freeman as DC gets him to Notre Dame. That was the hottest name in the game. And obviously when Kelly takes the LSU job, Marcus Freeman becomes head coach. So, of the at his time in Notre Dame, which spanned well over a decade, obviously, um, one, two, three, four of the five hires were home runs, really. And in Diaco, was a Burroughs Award winner, became a head coach. Elko, excellent, became a head coach, two-time now in the SEC as Texas A&M's. Lee, an SEC head coach, and Freeman, the head coach of Notre Dame. I say all that to say this. If he picked Matt House, there has to be a reason. Like Matt House can't be a terrible football coach. Brian Kelly's track record across the past decade of knowing what offenses have evolved into and how to stop them has been nearly flawless, minus Van Gorder. Yeah. Um, I think it, when we looked at Matt House's resume when he was hired, it made a ton of sense, right? You look at what he did at Kentucky, you look at obviously NFL pedigree, and that, that hasn't changed. Like the, the resume is the resume still. So I, it makes sense to have um, hire Matt House and keep Matt House. Um, the question obviously becomes, do you change 
Matt House and the staff, or do you just change the staff? Or I mean, because I I feel like there's there's no outcome where there's no changes to the to the staff whatsoever. Now, what changes there are, I don't know. And that's the situation I think Brian Kelly's in. Is all right, do we give House another year and let him maybe make some changes on the staff? Maybe at a position coach or two, you get Jimmy Lindsay back on, or maybe you, you move on there. Like you, you figure it out. That's something else I didn't even mention when I was going on that rant. But like Jimmy Lindsay, obviously not be part of the team. We saw how big of a difference that made, right? Because they don't have, they didn't have Pete Jenkins until week six, seven of the season. He makes a big difference. So if you add Jimmy Lindsay to this defense, are they incrementally better? If you get, you know, obviously. Greg Brooks is battling brain cancer. Like that was a major blow to this team. Like if, if he's okay, like how much better is the defense then? So I think I've said it, I said it on a couple podcasts ago, like a couple weeks ago, I was like, I think you can look at this defense and say there is enough personnel wise and coaching wise that can change outside of house that it wouldn't shock me if Kelly brought, brought him back like that. That's my ultimate stance. I, at the old, at the end of the day, they just need to change something. And Kelly knows better than I, better than me. Um, they know what they need to do, and it, whether it's House or whether it's everybody else, one of the two has to change. Hundred percent, well said. I think that where I'm at with it, because people want an opinion from me, is that I'm like the rest of you listening. I'm just in the media and get to watch from the press box and ask questions and report on it. But I don't know more about what happened behind the scenes. What's happening play to play? I mean, I get to watch the games, but. How talent deficient are they? What were those meetings like? What was the plan? Where did things go awry? Is it other coaches, you know, lacking development or needing to change than not house? What I'll say is I'll just have to trust Kelly because this is a guy who's been a head coach for more than 30 years with one of the best win percentages across that stretch than any coach in college football. This is a guy who knows after an impressive run that I just gave you resume wise of hiring DCs at Notre Dame what it takes from a really good DC to win. He's seen it. He's seen these guys. They were excellent, excellent coaches who became head coaches. So I know I trust that with that wealth of knowledge, knowing that Kelly, who said even said, look, the Michigan job, if Harbaugh comes open, do they go after Kelly or Harbaugh leaves, do they go after Kelly? He was asked not about Michigan, but in general. And he said, this is my final stop. This is it. I, I came here to win a championship. That's my only goal. Matty B, that means the clock's ticking. So I have to trust in the head coach that you, this isn't some fresh out the box, first head coach who's been a head coach for two years. And it's like, man, what's he going to do? Yeah. He's been a head coach for 30 plus years. He's hired a great, great run of DCs. And now he's in a position where he needs to decide is Matt House the best you know, coach to get them to that next level, or do they need to make a change or do changes just come elsewhere? And that's on Kelly to decide nobody else. And Kelly has been very honest about that, that he will review the staff he'll review himself and they'll go from there. Yeah, I, I do. I will, we'll talk about it, you know, in, in depth, but the personnel on the defense, I'm interested to see how they approach it because there's obviously plenty that went wrong this year as far as coaches and personnel goes, but if house is retained, I would expect plenty of whether it's transfers, um, just overall shakeup um, on LSU's defense. We, um, yeah, we'll have plenty more to talk. But as of Monday at uh, twelve forty-five p.m., we have heard no news on any coaching changes at LSU. Um, not to say they won't come, just saying that's where we are at right now, and we'll cover it as it does come. Um, hybrid theory. 
Uh, which freshman reserve receivers do you see blowing up in bowl prep and maybe becoming the next great tiger? I think we can also extend this into the spring um, in a way, just a all encompassing off season look at who can be next up. Uh, but Maddie B, Malik Neighbors is going to be a first round pick. Brian Thomas is either going to be a first round pick or a high second round pick. Tough sledding to get either of them com- coming back. I think one thing people aren't talking about right now is the battle to convince Kyron Lacey to come back and be that guy next year. Because you don't, like you, I think people look at Kyron Lacey and you're like, he's good for a drop a game and a big play game. And, you know, it is what it is, you know, but we have Malik and Brian. Kyron took a big jump from last year to this year. If yep. he does that again, he's a legit receiver for you. Yep. Um, that's you, you brought that up uh, a while ago and was like, hey, what if Kyron Lacey goes to the draft? I think he maybe could get drafted or, you know, be looked at by some pros because when people watch LSU games, there's a play or two a game where Kyron Lacey makes and you're like, if you are in the pros, if you're watching, you're like, oh, that has potential. Like the yards after catch ability is very, very much there in a way that it is there for all LSU great receivers. Can he put together, if he comes back, can he put together a year where he's consistently catching the ball, consistently getting those targets? That's going to be the interesting thing to me. I think that's a great point is you want Lacey to come back and be that receiver one for you. you. That way you don't have to look in the portal and be like, hey, we want to go get X, Y, Z out of the portal. If you get Lacey back, it softens the blow to where the freshman receiving class that we are very, very high on, Chris Hilton, who we're very, very high on, yep. those don't have to come in and be 50 receptions next year immediately. There's at least a buffer to where Lacey can take 60, 70 receptions, and then those guys maybe only 30, 40, and whatnot, you fill in from there. So I think Lacey's a big domino. That's what we're going to have to see. And if he's back, um, then the freshman kind of fill in from there. I, I will say the freshman I like the most, and I mean, he was the highest rated, and he's gotten the most reps this year, is Shelton Sampson. I think Sampson is the one who I expect to have a big, big year next year. Uh, Aaron Anderson will be guy who comes back as well. So yeah. I think you look at, I could see a situation that unfolds where they take a poor receiver who's proven. Mm-hmm. Kyron Lacey comes back. Aaron Anderson's back. Chris Hilton's back. And you've got four guys right there that have had playing time that are older that you could rely on. Ibiad has been hurt a lot. So it's tough to gauge where he would fit yeah. into that mix with those guys. But then you get into that freshman class, as you alluded to, and maybe a Shelton Sampson steps up, maybe a Jalen Brown, you know, becomes that Chris Hilton type who can come in and give you something uh, every couple of games where he sparks it with a big deep ball with his speed. So for me, I think that the answer, the hope is retaining Kyron Lacey, potentially getting a portal guy, and then seeing Chris Hilton or Aaron Anderson really make that leap or Shelton Sampson or Jalen Brown. Yeah, I'm. I'm going to be interested because we went into this year saying, all right, man, Kyle Parker is going to catch balls this year and everybody. It's not really how things work. Like the tight ends, you know, we expected Pimpton and whatnot to to get receptions. It's just when you have elite talent like LSU has usually at receiver, those are the guys that get the targets. So we'll see who steps up and who is those, who is that next kind of elite receiver? Who's who are the next elite receivers at LSU? I do think they'll get one from the portal though, regardless. Uh, Tiger King 53, do you anticipate any major losses for LSU in the portal? As the this point when we're recording this, um, Armani Goodwin, a backup running back who's been injured a t- number of times over these years, 
uh, is the only person who has announced he will enter the portal. Um, but major losses, Maddie B, I take to mean obviously not backups who, and I really think the nature of the portal in its truest form is guys leaving to go play elsewhere because they want more playing time. Yeah. Not because of an NIL money grab or anything of that nature. So most of this is going to be much like it was in the first two years, the Brian Kelly era of the portal of guys who left, who were backups, who wanted to play and weren't going to play and went, were able to play elsewhere. I'd be curious to look, I want to take a look at maybe who had the biggest year out of LSU's portal guys that left a year ago. Um, Did Tolan Max ever Johnson end up playing? started some games at A&M before he got hurt. Did Tolan ever end up playing for, for Auburn? I know he didn't start. No, oh, no, no he, he, had a, he had a death in the family or something yeah. that I think kind of set him back. Team. Yeah. Hope everything's good with him. Um, would love to have him back on this team if that's possible. But um, yeah, I, I don't think there were any other major Jalen Davis Robinson. I think got some run at SMU. Shout out to Billy. Um. I'd have to think about that, but yeah, I don't know. It'd be a good uh, story. I, I need to go look that up. Like Jack Jack Bash played some at TCU. Cole Taylor yeah. played at West Virginia. I'd have to really oh, dig into Cole it. Cole Taylor at West Virginia. I thought he started for them, didn't he? Yeah, I'd have to dig in and see. Um, yeah, exactly. Kind of that'd be a good idea. We'll do a story on that for the Bengal Tiger go. of how everyone fared. Um, rank them out, but uh, most of the time it is that just looking for playing time elsewhere. Maddie B, I don't know if anyone jumps out to you as like. If this guy leaves, that would be a major blow. It, mm. Like, I think people are fearing Deshaun Womack or so, like a guy who was like, you know, a young guy just signed that yeah. didn't play a ton. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you fear like a young guy that didn't play on, on the defense probably, or maybe, I mean, offense too, potentially. But I think that's the case with any freshman class, right? Any freshman class that comes in there's going to be one, two, or three guys that don't play and they're frustrated and they just want to go get on the field because they're itching to get on the field. So they'll go to fill in the blank. Like Jalen Davis Robinson went to, like we said, SMU. So like that type of move wouldn't shock me at all. I don't know who that would be, but I will say in the big picture, like LSU is not in the same position that out of 133 schools, 128 schools. Like they are in one of the five, six best positions in the portal because players are not leaving like their great players are not leaving to go play football at other schools like they're not leaving to go play football at ohio state and stuff uh, out of again no. probably 99 98% of the country coaches are terrified about losing their best players to schools like lsu to schools like ohio state texas oklahoma like those schools lsu is not in that position so like you said it's the the players that leave Yes, it would suck, you know, if a young, if a freshman that we thought had potential left because he wanted playing time. But ultimately, last year's departure class was, you know, Cole Taylor, Jalen Davis Robinson, fill in the blanks. Um, I do think DeMario Tolan was the one that we said hurt last year. But I mean, if you get one of those class, that's much better than 99% of the country. I think too, like people would view like if a young receiver, like if a Jalen Brown or a Kyle Parker or yeah, something like that were to exactly. leave, I think people would be like, no, like that was, you know, damn it. But then for me, receiver is one they never struggle for. So that doesn't hit you as hard. I think right now their biggest, like they want to build D line depth, obviously, but it's also a matter of holding on to guys. I think an intriguing name would be. 
like someone like a Quincy Wiggins who yeah. is now through year two. He plays a DN position where he's behind a starter in Savion Jones, an obviously really talented five-star freshman in Deshaun Womack, who's been a jack and an edge. Yeah. Or Jack Anna DN and then Paris Shand, who transferred in and played extremely well and isn't out of eligibility. So he could be back. It's like, what does a guy like that do when the reality is that he didn't really have any role this year because they're still trying to develop him into a guy that can uh can play that role? He played in four games this year. Um, so I think it's guys like that that you would monitor where. Does it kill your team? No, but you want a guy like that to stay on roster because you'd love to develop him. Exactly, exactly. You'd love to to keep all of the young, you know, talented players. But I don't know. This is LSU. Like, if you're not on the field, if you're not in the two deep, um, there's going to be more talented freshmen coming in that are going to push you. There's going to be more portal players coming in to push you. Like, I would I it doesn't. It wouldn't shock me at all if there's a third, fourth stringer that, a couple that enter the portal every year. Um. A question came next from uh, from our guy, uh, LSU Lawyer24. He said, who declares early for the draft? It's always so sticking out with the COVID year because so many guys have like extra years, even though they're seniors or grad students or whatever. So declaring early, I guess, just still means you have eligibility, but a lot of these guys will just go because kind of like the end of their run. I would say the most notable would be what Malik and Brian Thomas would be. Ty Wingo? That's one you'd watch, certainly, as a notable underclassman. Um, I'd say the no-brain, like Brian Thomas and Malik are going to go pro. Yes. I don't know for a fact Makai Wingo will. Uh, well, what percentage? I, I would put it at about 80%. Like, just okay. off, off my head. It's high. Um, I think the true debate here gets into the Mason Smiths and guys like where hey. Kyron Lacey, where it's like, yeah, you could get drafted, but you need if you came back, you would get drafted much higher than you would right now. Mason Smith, Kyron Lacey, who else would get drafted if they declared? I don't even know. I mean, Garrett Dellinger was a name thrown out. Yeah, Garrett Dellinger, Miles Frazier. I mean, there's guys in the O-line yeah. that Charles Turner, Turner, I guess a senior, he, he may have a year of eligibility left. I can't remember. But yeah, like the two guards, Miles Frazier and Garrett Dellinger draft out eligible, but they still have years remaining. So like they could get drafted. Logan Diggs. I could see Logan Diggs leaving. I could too. And, and going to the draft. I mean, I you've got such a deep running back room and they're bringing in Durham. So, you know, I could see him I, leaving. I could see, I could see, we talked about this before Diggs getting drafted. I mean, you look at the running backs that have been drafted over, you know, just in general that are drafted in the fourth, fifth, sixth round. I mean, I think he could definitely go in the fourth or fifth round, uh, Logan Diggs. I mean, certainly. So um, I thought he had a great year. He has a great year of tape at Notre Dame. So he has back-to-back great years at high level. I wouldn't be shocked at all if he wanted to go maybe capitalize on that. That's probably the one for me, like outside of Wingo, when we get into like the question marks, I might put Diggs like above anybody else. Yeah, me too. I'm um, with you. But yeah, other than that, I think I think that covers most of them. Like those guys, we'll see if they make a decision. Um, you know, I don't think like Braden Swinson would go right. He's that's his third year, isn't he? Um, two years at Oregon, one year at LSU. So I don't think Swinson would go, but there's a name to throw out there. So yeah, a lot of interesting. I I think we'll be surprised on a couple of them. Maybe like you said, Diggs. Maybe 
uh, maybe Mason Smith, but I think they'll get a, a handful of those back. And that's on the coaching staff uh, for guys like Mason Smith, certainly to say, Hey, look, you got to come back. Here's how you up your stock. And those conversations all are going to be had over the next month before mid January, when they actually have to officially declare or pull out of the draft or whatever it is, the pool. So keep an eye on it. Uh, Moving on. Holy bull. When LSU inevitably goes to the portal for a quarterback, are they looking for one that will compete to start versus us? Or are they looking for a backup? You guys get a layup this week. That's quite the layup. Uh, Holy Bull's right. You've got Garrett Nussmeyer coming back. Then you've got Ricky Collins, who played in one game where he threw two passes and handed it off as a true freshman. Then you've got Colin Hurley, who reclassified. So he's a 16-year-old, 17-year-old, skipping a grade and rolling early to be on campus. You're Garrett Nussmeyer injury away from one of those guys going onto the field, Um, presumably Ricky Collins. Yes. It makes very much sense that they would take a transfer portal quarterback. I don't know the answer to this one. My guess would be that you put, if you're Joe Sloan and Mike Denbrock and Brian Kelly, you're weighing the reality of how does Nussmeyer view it? And maybe that's not the right lens and maybe they aren't. Maybe it's just, Hey, we need to win and we're going to get the best quarterback for it. They did that with Jaden Daniels, but if you go out and get some like starter who's been balling, Nussmeyer may leave. I mean, then you're back to just having a quarter, you know, one injury away from being at Ricky Collins. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Look, I, I obviously I'm really high on Nussmeyer, right? Every, yeah, I think, but I'm just saying that's the risk in it. Like, yeah, you can go out and get someone to compete with Nuss who might even be better than Nuss. But if Nuss loses a battle, he'll he would go to the portal. He doesn't. He only has two years left. Shoot, he better. <laughs> so then you're right back to Ricky Collins as your backup. So as you're just saying, yeah, you you need somebody that's that's okay if they lose the starting job to be on the roster still. Which I mean, whatever should I mean if someone transfers there, I don't think they would have a choice. Like you know, Spencer Sanders going to Ole Miss, he transfers there, loses the job, sits the bench the whole year. Like sure that could happen, but um, I don't know how likely that is i'm looking at last year's transfer portal quarterbacks the top 12 all started for their team i believe uh well actually i don't know indiana's quarterback taven jackson um transferred after one year at tennessee to indiana so but we'll say 11 of the 12 started i mean obviously peyton thorne keaton slovis hudson card blah 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 the the name that stood out to me here is jacoby criswell last year for those who don't remember he was at north carolina as a backup knew he wasn't going to play over Drake May, went to Arkansas, spent one year as the backup to KJ Jefferson. And then obviously next year, he's hoping to become a starter uh, at Arkansas. So that's kind of the situation we're looking for LSU once where they take a player like Jacoby Criswell, who obviously was a higher, higher, a four-star player out of high school says, all right, I'm not going to play here. I'm going to go sit one year at uh, Arkansas. And then once KJ Jefferson's gone, I'm going in. The question is, Nussmeyer technically has two years left. And so that's not as easy of a pitch as it is, hey, come back up KJ Jefferson for one year and you're going to be the starter. This is come back up Nussmeyer for one year. You sh- you know, if Nussmeyer has a great year, he'll be gone. But if not, you're back in the same position where you're not playing. Um, go down the list, you know, Jeff Sims, Nebraska, Cade McNamara, Iowa both started. Jerkovic uh, play- started at Pitt, like Emory Jones, Cincinnati. I go down the list, I think 18, 19 of these players started. So you're really getting lower into the list of, all right, who wants to come be a backup for a year? 
Walker Howard, Jacoby Criswell. I mean, heck, I'm going down less even further. Casey Thompson started at FAU, Graham Mertz, Florida. So I, it's it's a tough, it's a precarious. Well, think, think about the Heisman race. All three guys, Penix, Knicks, and Daniels are all transfers. Yeah, but they went, yeah, and they went somewhere with knowing they were going to start. So that's, so that's the question is. I understand, yeah, I understand going and getting the best guy to make your team the best, no doubt. I'm just also weighing the inevitability of yeah. if you do get that guy and Nesmar leaves, you're right back in the same spot of you're an injury away from Ricky Collins being your quarterback. And the top, and if I tell you the top 20 quarterbacks in the portal this year are going somewhere that where they're going to start right away. All right. Are you cool with taking 21 through 30? One of those guys, potentially, that's going to be the, what you have to weigh if you are, um, if you are Brian Kelly in this team, I'm going down. This list be, we've got a few more here. We'll roll through them. Um, and try to move a little bit quicker. We dove deep into some of these here. Uh, Sh- Shrill LSU or SHR LSU 23, which guys returning on defense. Did you think actually improved over the season? We've talked about this a good bit. I liked a lot of the transfers. Shand, um Swenson obviously Jefferson I, I guess he's asking that are returning next year but Jefferson was a great one-year player um I don't know I thought a, there's a lot of guys that I think improved Ash and Stamps improved over time Toviano improved over time Sage Sage certainly improved over time um I'd have to think of and I guess Whit Weeks but it kind of looked the same from start to finish um, I think you named most of them. I think Greg Penn was pretty steady. I mean, yeah, he has who he you is. named most of them. Yeah, so uh, it mixed for me. I liked some of their transfers and I liked some of their young guys. So I, I have a mixed bag there. Yeah. Um, LSU Saint fan uh, did ask about Matt House being fired. We addressed that earlier. What other coaches on defensive staff deserve to be fired? We'll see if what Kelly thinks. Look, he's known Kerry Cooks for a long time. He did not know Robert Steeples before he hired him. Steeples didn't have a ton of experience. And uh, obviously the Jimmy Lindsay hire was brand new um, and just happened. Wasn't somebody he'd worked with before. And then Jimmy Lindsay has his medical issue and wasn't able to coach all year. Um, I'm not sure. I, I do not know what's going to happen. I do think I'm in the camp that there will be defensive changes. I don't know what Brian Kelly wants those changes to be. I could take guesses, but they'd be educated guesses, not sourced in any true reality of what's going to happen because I'm not in those closed doors meetings with Brian Kelly. Yeah. I mean, I already, I already went on my spiel about defensive changes here. So now we wait, there's a thread on our board. That's hourly updates of seeing, saying if defensive coaching changes will be made and they have not had one yet. Nope. Nope. They're keeping track. Uh, he also asked uh, about players leaving for the program via the portal. We talked about that. And then he said, could we put a daily quota on Bryce Underwood threads? There is no daily quota on the number one quarterback in America leaning to LSU. How many times you could post that on the board? I'll, I'm allowing unlimited Bryce and George McIntyre threads. All y'all want post yes. away. Yes. Uh, Cherry's backpack. One of my favorite names, uh, a hat tip to myself there really to drill, but. A little poking fun at me, which I always love. Uh, if House is not retained and you had your choice on a realistic replacement for DC, who's on your hot board? Um, I we, Someone asked us this a couple weeks ago. I, like, I haven't dug into that, but I would just go look at who's been red hot with schools over the past couple of years and take a hard look at them. 
Googling. I mean, if you, I mean, if we're looking at Kelly's tenure, Diaco, like again, let's go back to Notre Dame. He did not work with House before. Diaco he brought from Cincinnati. Van Gorder he had worked with for a long time at Grand Valley State. Elko he hired, Lee hired, Freeman he hired. Freeman had been at Cincinnati, but long after Kelly was there. And then he didn't know House. So he's not on any sort of recent run of like being thick as thieves with his DC. So, I mean, that opens the door for kind of anybody. I'm looking at this article from Pro Football Focus from before the 2023 season, and it ranked the top 10 defense coordinators in college football. Madhouse, number six. So there you go. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, he was the semifinalist for a Broyles Award last year. Um, who else? Uh, who will? I Just looking through. Here, list. I'll just give you. The, the, these are always so tough to answer until it happens, and then we get a look of the lay of the land. But um, obviously, Mike Denbrock, LSU's OC, is up for the Broyles Award. This goes to the best coordinator in college football or top assistant, typically a coordinator. Um, Mike Bobo at Georgia, uh, and then Sharon Moore up at Michigan, uh, on the DC side, and then Will Stein at Oregon on the DC side, Phil Parker at Iowa was the only DC to make it as a finalist of the Burroughs award. So yeah, dig around think, out there if it comes I mean, to that. If, and if we're just naming like good defensive coordinators, I mean, Derek Mason, Oklahoma state's awesome. Um, heck, you know, is Zach Arnett available for a job nowadays? If you want to go interview him again. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think Pete Golding, uh, at Ole Miss, um, yeah, I'd have to think about that for a second. Well, what must champs the code DC at Georgia? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Safety's coach, I guess Very he's cool. been here. He's made his LSU stop. I'm not sure if that would happen. Um, I don't know. It's obviously speculation until. We hear more. I'll also say, because it's worth mentioning, Diaco and Jancic, who are both current on-field coaches for them, have been DCs before. Like, I don't know if Kelly would do that. If he's letting go of house, he's probably bringing someone else in. But you do have people on staff who have been DCs before that certainly I think would – I mean, Diaco has been Brian Kelly's DC before and won the Broyles. So, like, does he get a look? I have no idea. I'm just speculating, looking at – who he surrounded himself with analyst wise. And it's some guys from his past that have had coordinator positions. Here's a, uh, here's big game boomers. Top 50. This is I before the year. Big game boomer. Before the year. I am. Well, Madhouse number 10. Big game boomer is always getting, I think everything he does gets trolled on social media. So I can't trust him or his graphics. They're all, all over the place. Madhouse number 10, man. There you go. Shoot. Is, is show wood still the DC at Tulane? Oh, I don't know. Google that. I believe he is, unless I missed this. Let's see. Tulane, yeah. So, hey, there you go. Mm-hmm. Just there keep posting Tulane talent. That's the key. Yeah, that's right. Track it from there. Um, okay, let's keep going here. Uh, Simpsonville asked a recruiting question, and it's a good one that I'm going to save for the recruiting podcast. He said, what recruit trolled Shay the hardest? Thought 100% he'd be at LSU and went elsewhere. I'd have to think of that because I've been doing this a long time. I'll think about it, and then I'll bring that back on the pod with Billy this week and reveal my answer. Answers have probably been trolled more than once, certainly. So I will uh, – let me think about that, Simpsonville. Um, NolaFan33 just talked about Malik wanting to get the yardage record. Did you guys think Kelly would allow him to get 20 yards or so then sit for the rest of a bowl game? 
or is it sort of an all or nothing thing? Um, if I think, I think in the dream scenario in a bowl, game, like I see what he's saying. Like, you know, Malik doesn't want to get hurt. So if he could break the record by getting 23 yards in a bowl game, once he gets to 23 yards, does he just come out? Like, and now you've negated yeah. any injury risk. Like, yeah. That, I think that's exactly what should happen. Yeah. I think that's what probably should happen. I bet if Malik gets it in the first half, he plays till halftime and doesn't play. Like he goes to the locker room and that's done. But yeah, said- if he gets the 23, then I would probably just be done. I said two drives. <laughs> Give him okay. two drives. There, there get the go. record. And then we see all the see all the freshmen on the field. Especially, I mean, it depends who you're playing. If it's like Purdue last year where you know you're going to win by 50 points, then yeah, just get the record, get out. I mean, if it's a little bit more competitive, sure, play a half. Um, he doesn't he he doesn't need more tape. I mean, I know he wants to be there for his team, but I don't know if I'm Brian Kelly, if I'm a coach, I'm like, hey, we we're not risking you're not we're not risking you getting hurt. You can get the record, we'll play you for a quarter or two. All right, you're good. You've done your job for this team. Uh, he asks another Malik-related question. Where does he land in terms of career legacy? Jamar's season in 2019 may have been a better, better may have been better, for example, but does the overall body of work make Malik the best receiver to ever come through LSU? It's um, it's so tough. Look, he has a chance to have more receiving yards than Josh Reed, who's maybe one of the best, who is one of the best players to ever play here. And more, he's already now has more catches than Wendell Davis, which is a record that stood since the mid '80s. So, and he's done it in three years. So, no doubt, his body of work is incredibly impressive. Never took time off. Never bailed on the. You know, it was always I'm all in. And now he's on the verge of holding the number one spots for two of the most important receiving marks you can have. I'll say that this is a program where. Like Josh Reed, I mentioned Wendell Davis, but Eric Martin, Michael Clayton, um, into the early 2000s when you know you didn't just have Michael Clayton, but you went into Dwayne Bow and Buster Davis, and then you transitioned to those years of Odell and Jarvis, and then obviously you got to Justin Jefferson and Jamar. Um, it's tough for me to say where he stacks up with all those guys because all of them are a little bit different. I mean, like. Early Doucette was on those, like I said, I don't, I don't know if I mentioned him on those early teams when Bo was on the team. It's just, this is a program that's had a lot of really elite, elite, elite receivers. I mean, Eddie Kennison, who went on to the NFL as well. There's The the list is long of, of guys who are very, very talented, had great college careers, had great pro careers. Um, yeah, so I don't know. I'd... It's tough for me to say. I mean, I I'll do. Even, I mean, I, even back I'm, into the '80s, Eric Martin. I mean, there's people on the podcast that are older than us that are screaming about names that they grew up on that were great players. So uh, Tony Moss, uh, another guy who's in that realm. Um, I just think Malik to be able to put himself at, at number one on both those things speaks to LSU having a really kind of turnaround on offense across the past couple of seasons with Jaden Daniels and then Malik delivering time and time again. We we said it in fall camp, Matty B. He was the best player out there. Yep. And we said when they get into tough spots this year, they're just going to throw it to Malik. And, right, and yep. now they never gotten to many third downs, but we were like, when it comes to third down, they're just going to throw it to Malik. When they did get to third down, they were just throwing it to Malik or Jaden ran it. Those were the only options, really. And I do think that he has been – Awesome to watch. He'll be a first rounder. He's going to be a really great pro. Yeah, I 
that's I think you some. I don't know how to rank them. I mean, those all those guys are so great from different generations that it's hard to say. Yeah, and it is a different era from where LSU was, especially from a quarterback perspective. Any time before Joe Burrow, like before Joe Burrow got to LSU, like the quarterback situation was just so different. I mean, if you give Joe and Jaden Daniels, Odell, and um, you know those players, Michael Clayton and whatnot, I mean, they probably could have put up similar type of stats to what Malik and Brian Thomas Jr. are doing this year. But um, it was just different. So however you want to weigh that is how you weigh that. Y'all are more uh, informed than I am. So I will defer to your expertise. Uh, Nolafan33, you owe us one, uh, but you're a very loyal member. So we're going to keep going here. Uh, he's got one more. He said, uh, off topic kind of, but who deserves a New Year's Six Bowl more? And this is uh, going to be a hotly debated topic. Ole Miss or Missouri, um, he says both teams went 10-2 and in overall, 6-2 and in the SEC. Ole Miss 2-2 two and two in ranked matchups with a win over the 13th-ranked LSU and Tulane. Um, I'll say that Tulane was out without Michael Pratt that day. Missouri 3-2 and two in ranked matchups with wins over K-State, Kentucky, and Tennessee. Ole Miss, fifth-hardest schedule, Missouri 29th. So you've got good cases for both. I don't know which one you'd pick, Matty B. Um, who was Missouri's other loss besides Georgia? Why am I? Oh, LSU, duh. Was, okay, I was going to um, see how long it took you. I was, oh, I was just, I was just going through it. I was like, wait a you minute. Just presume um, they lost all those shootout games. No, no, no. They won in Columbia. They won. They won in Columbia. That was a great win for LSU. I want to repeat that. You that saw them both cool. play in person this year. What do you think? I think Missouri's better. Right. Missouri. Yeah, I, I think Missouri's better. I, I just. You compare, I guess, resume-ish, Ole Miss has a case. You only lost to Alabama and Georgia, and you beat LSU, which LSU beat Missouri. Like that, I wouldn't be mad either way. I think Missouri's a better team, though. So, I like the, the Ole Miss strength of schedule makes this a tough one. I would lean Missouri, but I could totally see Ole Miss being deserving of it. Um, a very good season, so... And that is the uh, loss that stings the most for LSU, losing that Ole Miss game where you score 49 points and put up 600 yards and you manage to lose. Um, but I think it'll be Missouri. We'll see what happens. Uh, Phelps, 4824, would you rather have a D.C. house or an Easy Bake Oven? Um, easy, I never – those are more of a girl thing. No one had Easy Bake Oven. I didn't, I didn't have an Easy Bake Oven. No one had an Easy Bake Oven. Did you have see, a, yeah, Lindsay being back as D line coach, or do you think he's moved to an analyst role? That's something we'll monitor in the next month because right now Kelly described it in season as an analyst role. Does he shift back to D line coach, or does do they move in a different direction? I, again, I, I hope I hope I'm not coming across ill informed or don't have the scoop for you or all that. I just think Brian Kelly is about to figure all this stuff out over the coming weeks. Yeah. I, I don't know. I I would assume he's back as the defensive line coach, but if he's not, I don't know why. I mean, unless he wants to take some time, like wants to make sure he's right as far as his health goes, then he can move. Then he would move to analyst. But this is a guy who could, who's, you know, I think could get a job as a defensive line coach in a lot of places. So if LSU doesn't want him, then you know, I think he could find a job elsewhere. Charlotte Tiger asked why Spates gets more playing time over weeks and why Womack's snap count is so low. Um, because they thought Spates is a veteran who knew what he was doing. Yeah, and um, I don't know. They just didn't trust Weeks. 
So for, for one reason or the other, um, this has been a question we've talked about several times. And we're times. not going to sit here and debate who's the better middle linebacker out of those two. It's clear. Yeah. Um, Womack, I, I think that we saw, I think a lot of people were enamored by the Arkansas game. I think he has had a couple really good highlights this year. I wrote a story a week or two ago. If you look at the totality of his season and his like overall pass rushing snaps, he hasn't been like this like guy who's putting up five sacks and 15 pass rush or even like 30 pass rushes. He has a good amount of pass rushing snaps and he has had games where he's done nothing. Like this is not uh, what Harold Perkins was doing last year where when he's on the field, he's just breaking the yeah. game open. I mean, it's, it's, it's a different position. It's a different role. It's kind of unfair. Sure. But, and maybe he deserves more reps because he does have that potential very clearly. He's a very, very good player, but this isn't like, he wasn't coming in and immediately Harold Perkins in the game where he would get two strip sacks and the game's over. Like this is a different situation. All right. We're uh, over an hour now, so I didn't break it. We didn't even have an ad read uh, that I had to do in there. So thanks to I'll take out here for your partial blame questions. I'll take partial blame here because I I didn't refresh the page. So I thought we were done like 10 questions ago. So that's why I was going slow. Uh, We've only got a handful left here. We'll go through it. Don't worry about it. Um, Coastal Tiger, Coastal Tiger. Uh, what kind of roster concerns, i.e. transfer portal, recruiting misses, et cetera, might emerge from LSU's failure to part ways with key defensive staffers like House Cooks or Steeples? Um, I, well, I don't think that we know. Like, were they supposed to be fired last year? or Wouldn't it be – I mean, either way, you could flip – I feel like you could flip this either way, right? If they keep them, it'd be like, oh, you know, why didn't you get rid of them? But if you get rid of them, there go a lot of your – connections relationships people you've been recruiting so on and so forth i I don't know it's it's double-edged sword to a degree i think that if you're worried about any like transfer portal entries i think comes way more about playing time than your position coach is at this day and age um recruiting misses i think things like that could lead to staffers being let go who are position coaches like a corners coach or a safety coach your coordinator isn't doing a ton of recruiting beyond his position. And even then at linebacker, he's going to have other people helping him recruit because he's putting a lot of time into coordinator stuff. So I don't think you're losing any like recruiting misses there. You know what you got in the house. He's not someone who's like hitting the ground. He's not some guru recruiter. You hired him to be a coach and a coordinator. And Brian Kelly has to find that balance on the staff of, developers and recruiters and how each piece fits into the puzzle. Um, I think roster concerns are more just overall right now, finding development at defensive back and answers, and then continuing to build depth and get more out of your defensive line. Yep. Uh, uh, CB Tigers 24. He did ask if Malik's the best receiver in LSU history. We just talked about that, but he said in the next three years, does LSU get an SEC title? I'll say yes. Yes, I agree. Yes, I think there's a enough runway at that point. I think they will get an SEC title, and who knows where Georgia and Bam will be, and you know A and M or Texas, whatnot. I yeah. think LSU has a good shot. I think yes. Uh, I think what's going to be an incredible twist to this is that the SEC title almost is not the goal as much as if you want to win a Natty, you're getting into a 12 team playoff. You don't even need to make the SEC championship to get into a 12 team playoff. So. Right. You know, that becomes a more reachable 
um, goal for you than being one of only two teams out of now a 16 team conference to make the championship game. Yeah, it's it's, it's just going to be a completely different landscape and a different lens that we look at college football through. I mean, Missouri, if there was a 12 team playoff, I was looking at a, you know, projected 12 team playoff and it's like Missouri's in it. And, you know, Missouri has good wins, but it's lost its two toughest games of the year. So for Missouri, you're like, wow, this is a fantastic season and we made the playoff. But they didn't have to have a season where they, you know, went up and above and beat Georgia or beat LSU in order to make it to the playoff. You're in 12 team playoff. You go 10 and two and with, you know, you, you got got the wins you were supposed to get over like Kentucky and Tennessee, but you didn't have to have like some Herculean effort to get into the playoffs. So it's, it's are the lens is going to change for what is successful in um, college football. Two more five for five asked uh, shout out to his name as well, right alongside Cherry's backpack. Besides uh, JD neighbors and BTJ, give me five draft eligible players you want to come back. So we hit on this earlier. So I guess we would say Makai Wingo, Kyron Lacey, Mason Smith, Logan Diggs. Yeah, but I could see the running back. Like I'm, yeah, okay. Logan Diggs. I mean, he's a great running back. You can put him in the top five. I'll take him back any day of the week. Um, yeah. But I also feel like they've got running backs maybe to an extent. Yeah. But look, if Nussmeier is a quarterback, you don't have Daniel's legs, so you need a Logan Diggs. So I'll let's put him in there. Um, Swenson, give me one. Give me Dellinger. Give me an. Oh Ohio. yeah, Dellinger. Yeah, Dellinger. Good pick. All right. Good pick. Because even if Miles Frazier goes pro, like as long as both of them don't go pro, you can kick Emory Jones inside and start Zaylon's hurt at right tackle. Like, yeah. You'll be good. You got that figured out. You can't have them both go. So I'll say, give me Dellinger or Frazier to stay as my fifth. Great question. I like that one. Um, which freshman do you want to have a bigger role in the bowl game is what five for five asked. Uh, each of us give one. Uh, Womack? Yeah, I think that's I think that's the answer. Um, Caleb Jackson. There you go. All right. Um, and the last one of the podcast, uh, Mobius481. Looking at returning players and incoming freshmen, I love this. I've already read ahead of time. Transfers, etc. What is your way too early regular season prediction for next year? The portal makes this so wild. Like, I don't know who's going to be on the team. Like, this was so much easier to do when, like, signing day is a month away, but their class is almost done. I have yeah. a feel for who's going pro, who's not. I know what their roster looks like. <laughs> if you dump on me some, like, game you know a keon coleman or a yep. you know Jaden daniels or somebody who's like taking you to the next level immediately that changes everything so i'll say right now with where things stand give me 10 and 2. what's the schedule next year it's tougher yeah it's it's tougher isn't it um i will i will say in the first two years of the brian kelly era that they have won every single home game except one they lost to tennessee so they're 13 and one in home games. So they defend home field no. very well uh, so far in the Kelly era, if that matters to you when you're looking at home games, which are going to include the likes of UCLA, um, Ole Miss, Bama, Oklahoma, Ole Miss, and I think Vandy would be their other ones. So uh, I know they're at South Carolina next year. Oh, this is, a, this is this is South Carolina has a nice young quarterback waiting in the wings behind Rattler. 
Um, they're at AM, who's obviously going to be a different team than they were this year. They're at Florida. They're at Arkansas. They open in Vegas against Southern Cal. Uh, no rest for the weary here, um, Matty. This D. is a brutal schedule. I mean, I know this is this is what the SEC is going to look like from now on, like the at the conference schedule. But to have USC, so you're, you're USC two, yeah, you get Nichols and South LA. Alabama, but that's the only breaks you're getting here. And so I think South Alabama was actually pretty good this year. But regardless, USA was good this year. Um, and Nichols they, beat that, LSU in basketball, so they've got Lord knows. We don't we don't talk about that. I'm uh, just, uh, that was not a shot at them. I don't know why I said that. That's all right. That's all right. Um, nobody's listening an hour and 11 minutes into the podcast. 10 and two. Is that fair? Am I, I'm being too gracious. I, I think they, look, I think they win the four. This is going to be, this isn't like playing Florida state the last two years. I think USC will be worse than the Florida state teams that they played over the last two years. So with that in mind, I think they beat USC Nichols, UCLA and South Alabama. Like UCLA might be a tougher game than USC next year. You know, who knows if they have Dante Moore still, that'll be a really interesting game. Um, so whatever, let's say I four and in the non-conference, then you have Bama, Oklahoma will be tough. I, I think Florida will be better. Yeah. 10 and two, 10 and two is probably like where Vegas will probably set it at like nine and five, 9.5 again, nine and a half again. So yeah, I think 10 and two is a good, good mark. It's so crazy. We're looking at next year. I can't believe the season's over. Buckle oh. up, have some fun. Um, oh, wait, there's one more question I didn't see. It's from um, username Shay Dixon. Maddie B, what's the latest Angel Reese scoop? <laughs> I'm just out here digging through the internet, man. I can't find anything. Um, we'll see, we're, we're supposed to see. Uh, I think we're going to get something, whether it's public or not. I think a decision will be made today or tomorrow. Um, I do expect things to to get some closure here from what from what i understand and uh we'll see if i can get anything um sourced or whatnot but i assume this was the suspension going they were never going to the cayman islands pool and and reese and then once they got back they had the meeting and they were in to decide something so we'll see um i if i had to put a bet on it if i had to put a bet on it i'd say reese is back for virginia tech pool uh, people are, you know, people are talking about her wiping her well social and medias and stuff. And for for those that don't follow women's basketball, and many of you do now, and Maddie B does such a great job covering it for the Bengal Tiger, he's all over it all the time. Uh, if you don't know, uh, obviously LSU and VT ran into each other a year ago in the tourney, right, Maddie B? What round was that? Final four. Final four. Uh, they're seven and nine right now, so a pair of top ten teams. Uh, LSU and Virginia Tech are back from the Cayman Islands now, and they will face off in Baton Rouge in the SEC-ACC Challenge on November 30th. Matty B's thinking in a few days, that means Angel Reese might be back on the court. I'll give my hard date of December 20th when LSU is at Coppin State. Why is LSU at Coppin State? It's in Baltimore, Maryland. What is Baltimore, Maryland, the hometown of Angel Reese? What is the Physical Education Complex Arena? That's where Angel Reese would be hooping back in the day yep she's got that they set that game up for her yep even even if she's out the entire year she's coming back for that game <laughs> gotta be at that game if she's not at that game i don't i don't expect her back then gotta no. be back at that game yeah and this is right. this, this this game on thursday we'll we'll see we'll we'll see but i do expect um, her a, to be back for that. a reminder for those that don't know lsu is seven and one on the year they lost uh an early one to colorado who was a ranked team um but the gut check got them. They have bounced back since. They went to the Caymans. They went undefeated. And now we've got a great top 10 matchup this week. See what they're made of. So it'll be fun to watch.
Yep, we'll see. And hope Samaya Smith's okay. Um, went down. Shout out the... Samaya, who, as many people know, I moved on from Jarrell Cherry to Eric Gaines to now Samaya Smith. And uh, Maddie B, it is very evident to me when Kim Mulkey said Samaya Smith was the one person who wasn't out on the world tour of We Won It All this summer. She was in Baton Rouge grinding with the strength staff every day, and she has been on fire this year. So, yes, hopefully she is. Good health her way and everything goes well and that she's back on the court. Yeah. All right. That's all we got. I think this is one of the longest pod, one of the longest uh mailbags we've had, but I think it was Hey, it was well, we great. wrapped up a season there. So Yeah, we wrapped up a season and also, you know, you got plenty of time to this is a timeless podcast until we drop it and inevitably all the news that we just talked about. Get this up immediately so people right. can listen to it before everything changes that exactly. we just said. Exactly. That's why we need to drop this before anything is done with house transfer portal, everything. So we will get this up. Um, and yeah, uh, recruiting pod out Tuesday, Wednesday, whenever Shane yep, Wednesday, Wednesday. Um, so yeah, let's check that out as well. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. If you haven't already, if you want to submit a question in the future, uh, we will, we will post on the board. I'm not sure if we do it on Mondays, it'll be around noon. Uh, if not, just, Keep an eye on the board. Just keep refreshing it. Keep refreshing it. We're always there all day. So, uh, yeah, for Shay Dixon, I'm Matthew Bruni. We will talk to you all later.